The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here is your top five at five. Bracing for earnings. A big week ahead as stocks rocket back to close to all-time highs. And will the numbers hold up? A dark cloud looming. Inflation. New warnings from both Treasury's Janet Yellen and Twitter's Jack Dorsey. Facebook on the defensive once again. This after new reports this weekend with the media companies handling on everything for the January 6th riots and the 2020 election. Putting a pin in it. Breaking news on the deal that maybe never was between PayPal and Pinterest. And cyber warfare getting worse. A shocking new report on the relentless and ongoing attacks from state-backed hackers. It is all happening on this Monday, October 25th. This is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. We mean it. I'm Brian Sullivan. Good to be back with you here. And it is going to be a big day and a big week. Let's get right now to your Monday Money Futures. They are, well, not doing a lot. They are mildly higher. We are seeing gains across the board, but don't want to make too much of it. Plus, it's early. Things could turn. Either way, we are on pace for a very good month, at least so far, as the everything rally, as we call it, rolls on. The Dow is up three weeks in a row. All the major indexes up 4 or 5% this month, and we are seeing continued possible gains today. Also, in energy to start the week, same thing. And are you ready for higher gas prices, you should be, because they're coming. Oil prices, they are up again. Look at that. We're above 84 a barrel here, 86 a barrel in Europe. Oil is now up nine weeks in a row. And if we move higher for two more weeks, it could tie the 11-week amazing bull run that we had back in 2015. By the way, if you're counting at home, and you probably are, gasoline prices up 56% from this time last year. All right, let's get a check on the big cryptos. Bitcoin, down a bit from its recent peak. It is just under 63,000. We are seeing Ether rise a little bit as well to 42 and change. Now, let's go global. In Asia, a mixed trade. Japan down, China up there. And in Europe, kind of a similar story. We are seeing slight gains in Germany and the UK, a slight decline in the French market as they count down six months to their big presidential election next year. All right, so let's get right to it on this Monday with some breaking news this morning. PayPal tossing a big old bucket of cold water on reports it is in talks to buy Pinterest. Company says it is not currently pursuing a deal at this time. Reports last week said the companies were in early talks with sources saying PayPal had offered 70 bucks a share for Pinterest. Obviously, Pinterest shares soared on that report so this morning, they're coming back down. They're off just under 10%, about five and a half bucks to 52.42. Well, that is not all that is happening to kick off your week. 
So let's get right now to Solana Hanau, who is here with some of the other big corporate headlines happening on this Monday morning. Savannah, good morning. Good morning, Brian. Brian, so Evergrande says it has resumed work on more than 10 projects in six cities across China. This coming after the highly indebted property developer with some $300 billion in liabilities reportedly averted a default with the last-minute interest payment late last week. Evergrande had halted most of its operations back in August because of delayed payments to contractors and suppliers. Jack Dorsey weighing in into the national inflation conversation. The Twitter and Square CEO saying things are going to get considerably worse. In a weekend tweet, Dorsey said hyperinflation is going to change everything. Adding in a follow-up reply, it will happen in the U.S. soon and so the world. The tweet comes with consumer price inflation running near a 30-year high. And Facebook fielding fresh allegations from a series of reports over the weekend on how it handles everything from the 2020 U.S. presidential election to hate speech. Among the allegations, all linked to those leaked internal documents, the Wall Street Journal says content rules for some right-wing publishers are not enforced for fear of public and political backlash. The Associated Press reports Facebook missed warning signs in the lead-up to the January 6th U.S. Capitol insurrection, and the New York Times alleges internal company documents show the social network's employees repeatedly raised red flags about the spread of misinformation and conspiracies before and after the November 2020 presidential election. Brian, all this as Facebook is out with its latest earnings report today. Yeah, oh. the earnings will get all the attention, but that is yeah. some scary stuff Lot, out there. Lots and of Facebook stuff, yeah. maybe with some, some, yeah, some big days ahead. Silvana, mm-hmm. we'll see in a few minutes. Sure Thank thing. you very much. All right, well, let's get back now to the markets and your money because this week could be a big test for the market's recent gains because it is a big week for earnings and maybe more importantly, guidance. One-third of the Dow and 30% of the S&P 500, which is also one-third, are reporting results. And with those are the biggest of the mega-cap tech names. Silvana just talked about Facebook, but you've also got Apple, Microsoft, Google, and Amazon, literally trillions in market cap. Now, the companies that have reported so far, more than 80% have top analyst estimates. Earnings are expected to be up about 35% over last year, although last year, as we know, was a very weird one. Let's talk more now about all this with Ben Evans. He is the Managing Director of Global Macro Strategy at Medley Global Advisors. Ben, great to have you back on. Loved your note, by the way. Always a must read over the weekend. And you kind of, it seemed to me, correct me if I'm wrong, threw a little cold water also on some of these big tech earnings. Effectively, and I'm going to paraphrase you, good, not great, but yet the market continues to rise. What gives? Morning, Brian. Yeah, it definitely is a call about, like, on the one hand, really bearish views like, on the margins for these companies. But then the market has continued to love these tech names with inflows and ETFs and, you know, actually positioning uh, in options or any kind of sort of technical positioning that seems to indicate that people are willing to buy dips in these in these tech names. So, you know, it is a big week, as you mentioned, because it's a big weight in the, in the index. And still, the revenues that they're going to generate, on average, will be year-on-year like 30%. So it's pretty significant. And then therefore, the bull case underlying the tech sector has, I think, really changed. But there's some negativity building around as you let in with the segment, if you think about a company like Facebook. So I do think yeah. that the earnings will put a little bit of pressure intraday on the markets. But overall, this is still a very bull trend for, for that sector. 
Okay, so I know, listen, I know we like to lump big tech in together, but, you know, we talk about the FANG stocks and kind of there's all these ETFs that just throw them into a basket and let people figure it out. But as you point out, they are very different. And we like to talk about two things here on CNBC, big tech and supply chain woes. They go together in some ways. A Facebook, a Google, I don't think they care at all about supply chains. Maybe Google for its data centers. An Apple, they do. They build stuff. They need semiconductors. There is a risk, right, that these stocks go in different directions. Because let's be clear, they face different things, different risks. They do. And I think it's a really important point that you're making because... You know, if you look at what happened with Snap last week, it wasn't just its advertising issues with, with Apple, but really was the supply chain effect of its ad, on its advertisers that affected its revenues. I think that woke up the markets to, okay, there's something else going on here underneath that we should pay attention to because if you're now getting like companies that have not much to do with anything of supply chain suddenly get affected by stories out of the supply chain, I think that's notable. And yes, tech is also sensitive. Yeah. If you think about hardware or you think about IT, those sectors are, are indeed really sensitive to the supply chain. And yes, the, the, the earnings, the estimate for that are to be decelerating by analyst estimates. I do think that the call is right, but there's a whole lot of other ones that are not affected by that, which I think why the supply chain there doesn't matter too much. Like quickly, like what? Well, if you think about the, the big mainframe, uh, Oracle or Qualcomm or Broadcom, that type of companies, they're not so affected by that supply chain story, either because they're not relying on inputs or components, or they don't have maybe what happened to a snap, right, where they were affected indirectly. You know, that's just bigger technology names are in demand, really because of our economy being more and more digitalized, as an example. So I think that's that's a good yeah. group that you can think of that's somewhat independent of of the supply chain development. And and we may need to think about it more like that, certainly as the weeks and months roll on. Ben Emmons, Medley Global Advisors. Ben, always a pleasure to get you on. Thanks for kicking off the show and kicking off the week for us. Have a great day. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> All right, you're welcome. All right, so we are just getting started on this Monday. And when we come back, details on a breaking deal to control the cellular airwaves throughout the Pacific Rim. Digicel's Dennis O'Brien is here live to talk about their nearly $2 billion deal. Plus, one CEO's advice to others in the C-suite about mandating employee vaccinations, what to do about it, and what to do about the pushback. Also, what to expect from COVID as the weather gets colder. Head of Hackensack Meridian Health. It's coming up. And later on, how retail trading in one SPAC may be set to make former President Trump the richest he has ever been. We're back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome or welcome back. Time now for your big money movers, the three key stock stories of the morning. Here we go. Stock number one, HSBC. The bank reporting a 74% rise in third quarter profit. Kind of shrugging off worries about potential bad loans and issues with China's property sector. HSBC also announcing a $2 billion stock buyback. Stock number two is Fox. Fox News launching a new weather app today. That stock, by the way, has nearly doubled so far this year. And stock number three, Tesla. The company pulling the latest version of its full self-driving beta software yesterday, less than a day after its release. Users had complained of things like false collision warnings and other issues. Elon Musk tweeting, quote, seeing some issues with 10.3, so rolling back to 10.2 temporarily. Please note, this is to be expected with beta software. All right, also happening now, some big news in the global telecom space. Mobile phone company Digicel selling its Pacific operation to Australia's Telstra for about $1.85 billion. The Australian government will back $1.3 billion of that deal. Digicel will use the funds to pay down debt, and analysts say the move could also be partly designed to block China's growing influence in the region. Joining us now in a Worldwide Exchange exclusive is... Dennis O'Brien, he's founder and chairman of Digicel, and we welcome him back to the program. Dennis, it's been a minute. Good to see you again, my friend, even remotely. Uh, why this deal? Why now? Thank you, Brian. Um, look, we've had a number of unsolicited offers for the business over the last year or so, and we decided it was a good time to sell. We've been there for 16 years. We democratized mobile communications in all the markets. There's a lot of growth left in the business, and that made it very attractive and it generates about $235 million of EBITDA and a lot of very good cash flow. So, uh, you know, it was just the timing was right for everybody. Yeah, and this is interesting. And I don't want you to speak for Telstra, although it is going to be a new company. We'll list on the Australian Stock Exchange. And you, I believe, Dennis, will be on the board. So maybe you can speak for them. Uh, this is the first time they've done a mobile phone business outside of Australia. They've got some undersea operations, things like that. But on the consumer end, they're pushing out. Why do you think that is? Why is the timing right? Well, I, I think, you know, these countries, the Pacific Islands are very close to Australia. There's a lot of very strong connections economically and tourism and everything else with these islands. And, you know, the relationship with Papua New Guinea is particularly strategic because of the mining industry there. So I, I think, you know, it was a meeting of minds between the government of Australia, Telstra and ourselves as a seller of the assets. And what's more interesting about the deal, too, is that the Australian government is kicking in, not all of it, uh, but close to all of it. You've been doing this a long time, Dennis. Have you ever seen a government kick in, uh, you know, what, 75 or whatever percent of a purchase price? Why do you think the Australian government is interested in your assets? Well, I think, it were, you know, the world is changing, Brian, and, you know, some assets are becoming more strategic than others. Um, we saw at the G7 meeting in Cornwall, President Biden and Scott Morrison, the Prime Minister of Australia, talk about the B3W initiative. And I suppose it's a counter to the China's Belt and Road initiative, which has been running for many years. 
So, you know, there's a number of different factors here. But, you know, I, the, well, the main thing here is that Telstra are getting a cracking business. And uh, the Australian, Australian government, you know, also are involved. And, you know, it, there's a lot of growth left. About two and a half million people out of seven million people in Papua New Guinea have a mobile phone. So that should be 70, 80 percent pretty quickly. So this business will continue to grow and throw for a lot of cash flow for our new owners, Telstra. Yeah, the, the Daily Mail reports uh, their, their headline is is basically Telstra or Australia's big move against China. That's actually their headline on your deal. Is this kind of to blunt China's growing sort of telecom infrastructure impact in the region? Well, I, I think, you know, when, when you have security agencies advising governments, well, then obviously we're into new territory here. Uh, and, you know, I... I you know, it's long recognized that China has upped their influence in the Pacific region. And, you know, Australia obviously has a great relationship with all the countries going back many, many years and have supported uh, a lot of these countries to AusAid and other organizations. So, look, this is just an extension of Australia's role and friendship to the countries in the Pacific region. Well, it is a big deal, certainly a very interesting one with the Australian government involved. Dennis O'Brien of, of Digicel, congratulations on the deal, on the new company as well. We appreciate you coming on CNBC, Dennis. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. Thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. All right, big deal there. All right, still on deck. Details behind the, quote, very large and very ongoing cyber threat from Russia. Dennis talked about it. It's not just China. Are thousands of major companies at risk of being hacked? Is your personal info, like work email, at risk? Eamon Jabber's up next with that important story. Today's big number, $2.77 trillion. That was the U.S. budget deficit at the end of the 2021 fiscal year, according to the Treasury Department. That's down 11.5% from last year's record, but still the second highest level ever. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. And good Monday morning. The Russian-linked hackers that were responsible for last year's massive cyber attack against SolarWinds and U.S. government agencies may not only be at it again, but they may be getting more aggressive, stepping up their attacks against a number of American companies, think tanks, and government organizations. Eamon Javers joining us now with some damning new info out of Microsoft. Eamon, what have we learned? 
Good morning, Brian. Microsoft is announcing it has found another wave of attacks by Russian intelligence that's just like that devastating solar winds hack revealed last year. That one was conducted by the Russian SVR, the intelligence service. This is another supply chain hack targeting resellers and other technology service providers that customize, deploy and manage cloud services and other technologies on behalf of their customers. The idea here is that the Russians hack malware into the supplier's products and then they sell them to to a large corporate and government client. The malware gets in there, too, and goes along for the ride. Microsoft says between July 1st and October 19th of this year, we informed 609 customers that they had been targeted 22,868 times by Nobelium, which is Microsoft's name for this group, which has been, has been identified as the Russian SVR. Now, this is an enormous increase, Brian, in nation-state hacking. By comparison, Microsoft says prior to July 1st, 2021, we had notified customers about attacks from all nation-state actors 20,500 times over the past three years. That is, the Russians have done the same amount of hacking in three months that all other nation-state hackers did in the previous three years. It is a lot of hacking. The Russian success rate here is said to be in the low single-digit percentage. But if you take that across 20,000-plus attempts, that means they've been successful thousands of times. Microsoft believes the Russians are digging in for the long haul here. They say this recent activity is another indicator that Russia is trying to gain long-term systemic access to a variety of points in the technology supply chain and establish a mechanism for surveilling, now or in the future, targets of interest to the Russian government. Now, all of this will come as bad news for the Biden administration, which has been talking about the apparent lull in Russian ransomware hacking since the Biden-Putin summit in Geneva this summer. A U.S. government official says, based on the details of the Microsoft blog, the activities described were unsophisticated password spray and phishing, run-of-the-mill operations for the purpose of surveillance that we already know are attempted by Russia every day. Bottom line, Brian, spies are going to spy, and that's what we seem to be observing here. It seems to be working, seems to be ramping up. Is there, is there anything that we can do about it? I mean, we just seem to be constantly playing defense. I understand because these things are happening on a computer, yeah. and it's not like Russia's landing on our shores and, like, you know, marine vehicles that maybe we take it a little less light. But this is a, this is a big deal. What can we do about it? It's a huge deal, and it's a huge escalation of hacking attempts by the Russians, and then presumably, you know, a huge escalation in the number of attempts that are successful getting into the supply chain and then spreading from those supply chain suppliers into the rest of, uh, you know, government and corporate America. So it's an, of enormous concern to researchers. I will say that, you know, if, you, if you're the White House and you look at this, you make a distinction between destructive, you know, critical infrastructure attacks like we saw uh, on the gas supply, the meat supply over the summer, things that really disrupt American society, and then ongoing uh, surveillance and spying activity by the Russian intelligence agencies. Russian intelligence is going to spy in the United States. Uh, they, they try to stamp it out as best they can, but it does happen. And of course, the, the United States, Brian, uh, does the same thing in many ways with the NSA looking into systems around the world itself. Yeah, except the difference being that our companies tend to run the world, especially from a technology perspective. Right. Eamon Javers, a big new report there. I'm sure we'll see you all day here, Eamon. Thank you. 
All right, well, that is not all that is going on on this Monday morning. Let's get a check on this morning's other key headlines, including more on the tragic death of the cinematographer Helena Hutchins on Alec Baldwin's movie set. NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York with that and more. Francis. Hi, Brian. Good morning. Yes, we are learning new details about the moments before actor Alec Baldwin accidentally fired off the fatal shot that killed one person and injured another on the set of Rust. It happened during a rehearsal. Joel Souza, the film's director, telling investigators Baldwin was on set, sitting in a church pew and pulling the prop gun across his body and then pointed it at the camera. That's when he heard what sounded like a whip and a loud pop. It says the director of photography, Helena Hutchins, grabbed her stomach and stumbled back. Backwards. Joel then noticed he was bleeding from his shoulder and could see blood on Helena. Questions remain on how a loaded gun made its way to the set, with growing scrutiny against the film's assistant director Dave Hall's ability to maintain safety. Over the weekend, hundreds gathered in Los Angeles to honor the life of Helena Hutchins. In a letter to the crew, the production team says they are mourning the loss of Hutchins, but urge standing beside each other. They're cooperating with authorities as the investigation continues. California is facing what's being called the strongest storm ever recorded off the West Coast. A massive drop in air pressure called a bomb cyclone mixed with extra tropical moisture is adding up to be a monster storm. Many areas around the Bay Area are being flooded and over 120,000 customers have lost power in California. Actor James Michael Tyler has died. He may be best known for playing the quirky, shy coffee barista named Gunther on the hit TV show Friends. Tyler also appeared in Sabrina the Teenage Witch, among other shows and movies. He was also a husband and talented musician. In 2018, he was diagnosed with prostate cancer and became an advocate for prostate cancer awareness. James Michael Tyler was 59 years old. And this terrific moment for Tom Brady, that first quarter pass to Mike Evans, gave Brady his 600th career touchdown throw, the first player in NFL history to hit that mark. So his Buccaneers would breeze by the Bears 38 to 33. But just as impressive, Brian, is what he did, what Brady did, 33 seconds left in the game. He walked over to this kid who was holding up a sign that said, Tom Brady, help me beat brain cancer. Brady gave him a hat and shook his hand. That little boy just was just moved. I mean, just was bawling right then there after that. Can you imagine? Uh... I didn't see it, but now you're, I mean, just you telling me about it, telling us about it, Francis, is, uh, feels like somebody's chopping onions in here. Yep. Just going to say yep. that. Uh, great it was a great story. moment. Francis. Yeah, amazing. The ageless Tom Brady, the GOAT. All right, Francis, thank you. All right, ahead, more on this amazing market rally and whether it is going to roll on this week. We are coming in hot on this Monday. We are up three weeks in a row. Amazon under fire over reports of mishandling worker paychecks, paid leave, and even leaving its warehouse workers on the hook for bills they cannot afford to pay. Much more on that. Dow Futures down a touch. We'll be back right after this. Grab the coffee and get ready for an earnings abundanza. A full third of America's biggest companies set to show off their numbers. But will they be enough to keep the rally going? Democrats trying to come together. Party leaders saying a deal on trillions of new government spending can come as soon as this week. And these SPAC tied to former President Trump's new social media venture coming back to earth a bit this morning. This after retail investors once again make their presence felt. It is Monday, October 25th, and this is Worldwide Exchange.
funky new music here on the program on a Monday morning. All right, I like it. Welcome or welcome back, everybody. Hope you had a great weekend. I'm Brian Sullivan. Good to be back in the saddle with you. Here's how your money and investments look right now as we are about halfway through this 5 a.m. hour on a Monday. Stock futures, eh, they're not doing a whole lot. They're kind of up and down all over the place. Remember, it's early, so things could change. Thin volume. We are seeing Dow futures maybe up a hair. I don't know. NASDAQ futures doing a little better, up 31 right now. Big tech. Of course, that's really the big market donkey. It pulls the entire cart, if you will. So we'll see what happens with technology. Overall, stocks are on pace for a very good month. As the everything rally rolls on, all major indexes up about 5% so far in October. This even as inflation rages and oil prices move higher. By the way, your RBI is on inflation. You're going to want to hear it. Also right now, a pair of big money movers to hit. PayPal throwing some cold water on reports it is in talks to buy Pinterest. Company says it is not currently pursuing a deal right now. Reports said last week the companies were in early talks with sources in the report saying PayPal had offered 70 bucks a share for Pinterest. Now that price, a deal would have been the biggest deal ever for a social media company topping Microsoft's $26 billion deal to buy LinkedIn five years ago. Shares of Pinterest right now, they are down about 12% on that new report. Something certainly to watch. All right, now to some of this morning's other top headlines, including congressional Democrats trying to put their differences aside to salvage some of President Biden's domestic agenda. Savannah now is back with that and more. Savannah. Good morning, Brian. Yep, I'm back. All right, Brian, so President Biden appears to have secured support from one key lawmaker when it comes to proposals to tax corporations and some wealthy Americans to help pay for his social spending plan. According to the Associated Press, sources close to Senator Joe Manchin say he's on board with the White House's plan on taxes following weekend meetings with the president and Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. It's unclear what level of taxes Manchin would support. And this comes as House Speaker Nancy Pelosi says Democrats have 90 percent of the spending bill agreed to. Pelosi says lawmakers need to now work through the language and could have it done by the end of this week. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen says inflation will remain near record high levels until the second half of next year. Yellen says global supply chain crunches have made the issue much worse, but stress they will subside. Also pushing back on recent criticism for, from former Treasury Secretary Larry Summers on Democrats spending making inflation worse. And Amazon facing new scrutiny amid a new report on its system of handling paid and unpaid leave for workers. The New York Times piece says an error in the system resulted in workers being severely underpaid, with the issue repeating even after it was reported to the company. The Times says Amazon is still identifying and repaying those workers that have been impacted. The paper adds that hundreds of internal documents, along with interviews with employees, show the problem is much larger than previously known, with several insiders describing it was one of the gravest human resources problems. Brian? Yeah, tech companies maybe need to get their own technology house in order. So, thank you very much. You got it, Brian. All right. Well, why don't we thank you? Why don't we stick with Amazon? Because it is among the flurry of big tech names out with their quarterly numbers and guidance this week. And your next guest says one of the names in that group is one of his top picks right now. David Katz is the chief investment officer for Matrix Asset Advisors. And he joins us now. David, it's great to have you back on. Good Monday morning. And that name is a name that has been in the news for all the wrong reasons lately, including more stories this morning around their mishandling of disinfo, misinfo. And that is 
Facebook. You don't sound concerned about all this. Why not? Well, we're not fans of management, and we do have some concerns about tonight's print in terms of their earnings. However, the stock is off from 385 down about 60 plus dollars. Uh, we think that it's a very powerful franchise. They're going to be forced to be a better corporate citizen, but they're going kicking and screaming. But it's a powerful franchise. People love to use the service, and it's one of the cheapest FANG stocks. So if you can hold your nose, we think it's going to be very good over the next 6 to 12 months. Uh, if you were buying, we'd buy about half today before the print, and we'd buy the balance of your position uh, tomorrow or next week or this week if the stock sells off anymore. Yeah, we talked earlier in the program about supply chain issues and technology and how some companies, maybe Facebook's immune to it, they don't really make anything. But a company like a Cisco does. They need to buy semiconductors. They need to buy copper. They need to buy things that actually build parts in some respects. But again, Cisco, a name you like, despite some of the headlines, kind of seeming, David, to go against it. Well, Cisco does have supply chain issues and they do have inflation or cost issues in their products. However, they're fully known and we think that the company is addressing them. They really have great purchasing power. They're one of the larger technology companies out there and they've got very strong demand, which is the first time we're able to say that in some time. And the important thing about Cisco is they're selling at about 16 and a half times earnings. So you're getting it very inexpensive. They're going to get through the supply chain issues, and you're getting a great franchise at a very reasonable price. The other thing is they're really a, a hybrid play in terms of work at home, work in the office. So there's going to be a lot more of upgrade of networks. Cisco's a direct beneficiary of that, and they've got WebEx. I remember the first stock I ever bought. We can't own stocks now, but before I did this gig, I bought a stock in part because they built a new headquarters near where I lived. And I was like, well, they must be doing pretty well. Next door to CNBC, by the way, don't, don't take that as investing advice on companies, but David, next door to our headquarters at CNBC is a big, the U.S. headquarters of Unilever. And a few years ago, they built this big, shiny new building. Thank you. It makes the neighborhood look a little bit nicer. And I thought Unilever and Ragu and all their brands must be doing pretty well. We know food cost inflation is a big story, but UL, based in the Netherlands, but our next door neighbor here in the United States is another name that you like, just a little different than technology. Yeah, so we're a little bit wary about buying companies in front of earnings this earnings season because we think the earnings season is going to be lighter than last quarter. Unilever just reported, and the stock had been off from 60 to the low 50s, and they had a better than expected quarter. They did say uh, that they're covering those uh, higher costs, but they're raising prices. Uh, so they uh, up their guidance, so they have more confidence in their guidance. So we think from here, the stock easily has 10 to 15% upside, and you're getting a 3.8% yield while you're waiting. Good long-term franchise, one of the cheaper consumer product companies. Well, one of their brand's taglines is, what would you do for a Klondike bar? Apparently, David Katz, you'd, you'd buy the equity. You will, along with Facebook and Cisco. David, love the actionable ideas. Thanks for getting up early for us again, my friend. Have a great day. You bet. Have a great day as well. Thanks. All right. Thank you very much, David. All right, coming up. It is your morning R, RBI, and the story everybody is talking about, mounting inflation and what you say you're going to be spending more of your money on, an interesting new survey in your RBI. But first, we had to break some of the other top stories that are happening right now. Dune taking the top spot at the box office, pulling more than $40 million bucks in its debut this weekend. A strong showing coming despite it also being available to stream on HBO Max as well. The price of Shiba Inu falling after Tesla CEO Musk, Elon Musk revealing 
he does not hold any of the crypto. Musk revealing that he has only ever actually bought Bitcoin, Ether, and Dogecoin when asked if he held any Shiba, which, by the way, was a joke currency built on a joke currency, but has made a bunch of people millionaires. And a pair of Michael Jordan's 1984 Nike Airship sneakers sold at auction for one and a half million bucks. Shoes are Jordan's earliest known regular season game-worn Nikes from his rookie season. Wow. Worldwide Exchange is back on a Monday in a moment. All right, welcome back. Well, it seems like everyone that we talked to at the Milken Conference or up in Boston this weekend or whatever is talking about the same thing. And that is Donald Trump's new media venture and its SPAC. It's called Digital World Acquisition, DWAC. And to say it's been red hot is a big old understatement. Shares surging 700% last week. But what are the real expectations for a company that hasn't actually made or done anything yet? Leslie Picker joining us now with more on this rapid rise. I don't know about you, Leslie. You're world famous. Everywhere I go, people are like, hey, what about Trump's new thing? I'm like, I don't even know about it. Tell us about it. Yeah, it's quite a lot of hype for what at this point is just a hypothetical company, Brian. Digital world acquisition has surged more than 800% in just two days after announcing a merger with former President Donald Trump's planned social media platform. Volume has been some of the highest ever for a SPAC. The move implies a valuation of more than 8 billion dollars making Trump and the SPAC sponsor Patrick Orlando billions on paper. Of course, this is the ultimate meme stock meets SPAC frenzy. So these massive price swings are expected to continue. They've already started this morning. Uh, Even if it weren't 530, though, in the morning, I couldn't break down a fundamental basis for what's really going on here. Trump Media and Technology Group is effectively pre-product pre-revenue, and obviously pre-profit. Trump says his Truth Social beta launch is slated to begin next month for invited guests. A presentation online showcases a markup for what it may look like. And you can see the presentation scrolling on your screen there. As sparse as the details are about the deal itself, apparently more information is coming this week. Even less is known about the SPAC sponsor, Patrick Orlando. He has three other active SPACs. None have announced deals at this time. One of them, Yun Hong, had announced a deal, but it was terminated last month. He doesn't appear to have been very politically active. We couldn't find any donations under his name in public databases. We looked. In the press release, though, he notes that the total addressable market And Trump's large following gives this deal the potential to create significant shareholder value. And if you kind of search the Reddit boards and the the chat rooms that are public online, you can see that's kind of the case that people are making uh, to get others to buy this stock as well. Brian. All right, let's talk about the company very quickly, Leslie. I, I mean, again, we don't know much about it. There's no there there yet. Based on the former president's sort of comments, is it thought that it would be sort of a conservative Twitter? I mean, what exactly do we know about what the actual product may be? Yeah, that's right. I mean, if you look up the markup on the presentation, it does look very similar to Twitter. Um, You know, his, of course, if you recall, Trump was banned from Twitter after the January 6th events at the Capitol. And so therefore, ever since then, he has promised to launch some sort of social media 
entity that he would be free to speak on. So potentially, this could be that version of Twitter that he is able to speak on. Now, of course, it's not just Twitter that has a say here. It's all of the Uh, technology ecosystem. There's the the data centers. There's the the cloud infrastructure that powers these things.、Um, a lot of those are also run by big tech. So it'll be、yeah. interesting to see exactly how he plans to go at it alone here, given what we saw on January sixth and all of the interconnectivity among the tech community. And so much unknown about Trump's actual wealth. This one we would know. He would have publicly available share information. We can multiply that by the stock price, and we'd know. How much he was actually worth? It's amazing, Leslie. Thank. In theory, in theory. <laughs> in theory, it's always about the theory. Leslie Picker, thank. Now we can just basically everybody <laughs> can watch their own TV networks, be on their own social media platforms, and echo everything they just want to hear. It's like just alternate realities. Thank you. All right, on deck. The CEO of Hackensack Meridian Health is here. He is back on vaccine mandates. And what he is seeing at his New Jersey hospitals right now, also what he expects as the weather gets colder. An important interview next. All right, welcome back. Well, I'm back, and so so is your RBI. The most random but hopefully interesting thing you might hear all day on this Monday morning. We're going to focus on everybody's least favorite topic, at least after taxes, and that is inflation, because we keep hearing anecdotal stuff. About it. Remember our wall of inflation two weeks ago. Well, it seems that everything is getting ready to pay more for pretty much or everybody for everything. But how do we know? Because there are actually some really good surveys on this. Cowan and Company's excellent consumer research team put this out recently. It asked people to lay out what they expect to spend more money on in the coming months. Now there are a lot of categories in their survey, but nothing like the stuff you buy most: groceries. Look at that. 73% of those surveyed by Cowan said grocery costs are going to go up month over month. That is about two and a half times more than the next highest categories, like transportation and personal hair costs or care costs. Of course, if oil prices keep going up, that transport number may rise again next month and maybe make up two as well. Remember, a lot relies on natural gas. Now, remember, the Cowan survey is rounded out by cars and houses and pets. So let me sum this up a little more plainly. A big group of people sees costs going up for nearly every single category of spending next month, whether it's broccoli, gasoline, makeup, or just caring for your dog. In other words, inflation is everywhere and in nearly everything. The only question that remains is for how long, and that seems like a good Twitter poll and an RBI for tomorrow. So I did it. We put the Twitter poll up. Go to my Sully CNBC Twitter account and respond on how you, how long you think that inflation at these levels may last. Random but informative. All right, now back to COVID nineteen, a lot more important, and the fight to get as many Americans vaccinated as possible. Outside the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York, yesterday, a big group of demonstrators protested in solidarity with suspended Nets player Kyrie Irving for choosing not. To get a COVID-19 vaccination shot, despite requirements from the state of New York, the case around Irving just one of the countless stories around employees refusing to get vaccinated, despite orders from their employers or other government mandates. To talk more now about this, the challenges, and also where we're going to go heading into the winter, is our friend joining us again, 
We're joined by Hackensack Meridian Health CEO Robert Garrett. He's got 40,000 team members and physicians across the state. Uh, Robert, really pleasure to have you back on. Uh, vaccine mandates, obviously a hot topic. They tend to generally work. In some cases, they don't. Uh, you've been very successful with your own staff and team. Is there a secret sauce that you can give to the CEOs that are watching this show right now? Good morning, Brian, and uh, thank you again for having me back on. Uh, you know, I don't know that there's a secret sauce per se, but I would say this, that um, it was an all-hands-on-deck effort. Uh, we had... Um, we have, as you mentioned, uh, nearly 40,000 uh, team members. Uh, we ended off uh, vaccinating 99.8% um, of them. And it was a combination effort. Obviously, it was the mandate itself that, um, that was, was effective. But uh, you really had to win over the hearts and minds of people one by one. And I would credit um, the ground game, if you will, um, our site leaders, our site uh, managers and supervisors, really had one-on-one conversations with team members that might have been reluctant to, uh, to, to be vaccinated. When we announced the, um, the mandate back in uh, July, we were just over 70% um, vaccinated as a, uh, as a workforce. So we had a lot of work to do that, you know, over, you know, 10, 11,000 yeah. team members weren't vaccinated. So, you know, I, I really would credit um, the, the site leadership and, uh, and those conversations, in addition to the fact that we provided an incredible amount of education. We did webinars. Um, I participated myself in, in, in some of those, uh, those webinars to really educate yeah. to dispel some of the, um, the, the misinformation that might be out there, particularly around the issue of yeah. uh, fertility with, uh, with young people. So, you know, it was, it was really, a, all, like I said, you know, all-in kind of effort. But, um, but I think that ground game, you know, winning over the hearts and minds one by one was the most effective strategy. Yeah, you know, and listen, the media likes to paint the picture of those who won't get vaccinated. And usually it's some sort of right wing rural person, whatever. But everybody's got their own reasons. I know a couple people that are not vaccinated. And I'll tell you why both of and two people in particular are not, because they both got COVID. They got really sick. And so, number one, they feel like they have natural immunity. Number two, they're afraid to get sick again from the vaccine because they've talked to people who said, yeah, I got laid up for a couple of days. I know people, everybody's got their own reaction to it. It's it's like that, right? We need to respect the fact that everybody's not coming at this from the same direction. Yeah, I I don't think uh, vilifying people is the is the right way to go. I think it's really no, about, it's the exact about wrong winning. way. It's the wrong way. It's it's about winning over the hearts and minds. Listen, we had to at the end of the day, we had to separate with 149 of our team members. I, I didn't want you know one person to to go. You know, we respect the fact that those people made personal choices, and it, I don't think it. You know, in, in those cases, it had a lot to do with politics. It had to do with their, you know, as you said, you know, some, some fears about the vaccine itself, some folks that did have COVID and they did have natural immunities, but we, we tried to educate them that the vaccine would give them a much higher level of, of immunity. But at the end of the day, there were a few, as I said, a very, very few at Hackensack Meridian, but a few that decided that um, it was more important to them not to uh, to be vaccinated. You know, so... Again, I just don't think yeah. it's the right way to go just to uh, just to try to vilify folks. We, we really respected their their decision. And, you know, honestly, you know, people ask me, you know, hey, you know, you lost 149. I know that's not a big percentage of your workforce, but still 149. And I, I agree. But you know what, Brian, I am convinced that if we didn't have the mandate in place, we would have lost a lot more. I was hearing 
from nurses on the front lines and physicians and respiratory therapists that, you know, unless we mandated vaccines, they weren't going to stay at, at our organization because they didn't want to put themselves okay. at risk and they didn't want to work for an organization that would put their patients at risk. That's well said. Robert Garrett, I want to get you back on soon to talk about your expectations for the fall and the winter, but unfortunately we're out of time. But God bless you and all your workers out there still, still, 18 months later on the front lines. Robert, thank you. Have a wonderful day. Thank you, Brian. Thanks again for having me. All right. You're very welcome. That does it for us here on WEX. We will see you tomorrow. Squawk and the gang picking it up next. Have a great day. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.